In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and God, Amen. Tonight, our Bible study from Psalm 82. Psalm 82. Each psalm has introduction, or a title. The title of this psalm, a psalm of Asaph, meaning the author is Asaph. And Asaph is the great singer and musician during David's time and also Solomon's era. And unlike many psalms, this psalm is not directed to God, except maybe the last verse. But this psalm speaks of God and what is said to the rulers of the earth, to the judges of the earth. Some think that this psalm is composed during the time of Jehoshaphat when he reformed the courts of justice throughout his estates, as we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 6 and verse 7. Because Jehoshaphat used nearly the same words as in the beginning of the psalm, but most probably, Jehoshaphat quoted Psalm 82. So it is written by Asaph in time of David under a spirit of prophecy. And also this psalm prophesied about the time of Christ when there was a great corruption among the judges and the rulers of the Jews as we will see together. This psalm is a model of judgment for the judges of the earth. And it sets forth the responsibility of earthly judges to the supreme judge, God. So the judges of the earth are accountable to the supreme judge, God. They represent him here. And they derive their authority from God, but in the end, they are accountable also to God. In Psalm 50, we can see how the nation of Israel is assembled for judgment. But here in Psalm 82, the authorities of the nation, not the people, but the authorities of the nation, who have abused their trust and oppressed the people are called here to be judged and to be put upon their trial. During almost every era, appeals to maintain the purity of justice are common in the law. In the Old Testament, the prophets disputed frequently about the injustice of the judges. For example, in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 13, 14, and 15, the Lord stands up to plead and stands to judge the people. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders of his people and his princes. For you have eaten up the vineyard. The plunder of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, said the Lord God of hosts. So here God is calling the authorities and the rulers and the judges to 
judge them. So the whole point of Psalm 82 is that earthly judges must act with impartiality and they should act with true justice because even judges must stand someday before the supreme judge God. This psalm is a short psalm, only eight verses. Verse one and two, a warning to corrupt judges. Three, four, and five, God commands the unjust judges. And six to eight, God pronounced judgment upon the unjust judges. So let's start from verse one. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Silah. So the son asserts the supreme authority of God over every authority and power. Asaph gives us the picture of God in the midst of the mighty, standing in authority. He presents an image of God rising to his feet to give his sentence. He is the chief and master who from his own point of view sees all that is done by the great ones, the great rulers of the earth. When they sit as rulers, God stands over them, ready to deal with them if they alter or distort the judgment. So judges will be judged. These who have been given such earthly authority on how they rule the land are expected to do so with order and justice. Those who have such a position answer to God himself for their rulings because he is the ultimate judge of all judges. Yes, they have their power from him. That's why they are accountable to him. God has their hearts in his hand and their tongues also and he directs them wherever he wishes, as we read in Proverbs 21 and verse 1. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. What is the congregation of the mighty? They were the representatives of divine sovereignty in the administration of justice. As we read in Romans chapter 13, that every authority is from God. And St. Paul said, he who resists the authority, resists God himself. So any authority is from God. That's why in a sense, they are gods to the people. But they should not forget that God stood among them because he is their God. If they were exalted to a high rank in respect to others, 
they were nevertheless subject to one God, the Almighty. So, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. The mighty are the rulers, the magistrates of the earth. He judges among the gods. Who are the gods again? They are the rulers, the judges of the people, who go by this name God. In Exodus 21, verse 6, God called them gods. Why he called them gods? Because they are the powers ordained of God and representative of God. And the idea of God judging gods has led to several suggestions regarding the identity of these gods in Hebrew, Elohim. Elohim. So the word God in verse 1 is Elohim in Hebrew. And this is the plural of the generic word for God in Hebrew. Elohim in the scripture is often used to describe the true God, Jehovah, Yahweh. And it is written in plural to describe both the majesty of the person of God and also to be a hint to the Trinity and nature of God, one God in three persons or in three hypostases. But also in the scripture, Elohim is sometimes used as plural of pagan deities, the false gods of the nations. Also Elohim in the scripture is sometimes used in reference to angelic being. So the Jewish interpretation tended to see gods as the Israelite community that received the law at Sinai because he received the law of God. That's why they are gods. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ mentioned in John chapter 10 verse 34 and 35. Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? Why? Because they received the law. But in, in Psalm 82 verse 1, Elohim is taken as a reference to the human judges who stand in the place of God in their ability to determine the fate of others. The judges here can put somebody in prison for so many years. Or actually they can pass a death penalty. So in a way they are determining the fate of others. So this use of the word God to refer to human is rare, but it is found in the Old Testament. Yes, it is rare, but found in the Old Testament. For example, when God sent Moses to Pharaoh, God said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. Why? In Exodus 7 verse 1. Because Moses, the messenger of God, is speaking God's word. That's why he is the God representative to Pharaoh. And the meaning in verse 1, as if, 
want to say that these judges represent God because they pass sentences according to the authority they received from God. And the word mighty, God stand in the congregation of mighty, could be referring to the angels, the mighty angels, like how an earthly king stand in the midst of his nobles. As we read also in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 19, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. So God stands in the congregation of the mighty. Mighty could be the angels. He judges among the gods. Gods are the rulers of the earth. Why God called them? God called the assembly of judges not to compliment them, but to warn them and to confront them for judging unjustly and for showing partiality to the wicked. That's why in verse 2 he told them, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? This question, how long, suggests what? Suggests that the unjust judges have been going on for some time with no end in sight by showing partiality and passing on justly sentence. So God wanted to end this. God wanted to end this injustice and this partiality. Partiality in the scripture means favoritism and it's repeated in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament several times. And this is very applicable to the rulers and judges of the Jewish nation in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, who had long dealt very unjustly, even with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Their judgment was wicked concerning the law, which they transgressed by adhering to the tradition of the elders. For example, God said, honor your father and mother, but the tradition, the human tradition, not the divine tradition. They said, if what you're going to offer to your parents, you bring it to the temple, then no need to honor your parents. That's why God told them, you transgressed the law of God because of the tradition of men. They were unjust judges. So this confrontation shows that God himself is the judge at the ultimate Supreme Court. Then verse 2 ends by the word Sila. And Sila is a pause for reflection. So the idea of God calling the judges of the earth into special judgment is worthy of reflection and meditation. Verse 3. Defend the poor and fatherless, the orphan. To justice, to justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They don't know 
nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. So, here we read God's instruction to the judges of this earth to do their duty in defending those who are often treated unjustly, the weak, the poor, the orphans, the widow. In Asaf days, the poor and the fatherless were often are the target on unfair treatment because they don't have anyone to defend them. So it was the job of the judges to defend them and to do justice to the afflicted and the needy. But the meaning is not that judgment was to be pronounced all the time in the favor of the poor and needy. Otherwise, there will be partiality here. The fact that they are poor or orphaned doesn't mean we should always, always make or pronounce a judgment in their favor, even if it is unjust. But they have actually to pass judgment without showing favor on account of condition or rank. They should pronounce judgment based on a just claim, based on a just claim. So the idea is the poor and the fatherless having no natural protectors. And that's why they are likely to be oppressed because they don't have anyone to defend them. Therefore, judges, as if they were their natural protectors, should see that their rights were maintained. As we read in Isaiah 117, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. And according to St. Augustine, the talk here is addressed to the Jews who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to them like a fatherless, humble and poor and miserable, whom they intended to kill, saying, this is the heir, come, let us kill him and take his inheritance. One characteristic of the wicked is that they prey upon and target the poor and needy. So it was the divinely directed duty of judges to free the vulnerable from those who oppressed them. King Jehoshaphat of Judah gave similar instruction to judges as we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 6 and 7 and said to the judges, Take heed to what you are doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord, who is with you in the judgment. Now therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, nor taking of bribes. St. Augustine comment on verse 4, deliver the poor and needy, free them from the hand of the wicked. Applying this verse to the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, 
This is said that it might be known that in that nation, in the Jewish nation, where Christ was born and put to death, those persons were not guiltless of so great a crime, the crime of crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ, who being so numerous that, as the Gospel says, the Jews' rulers feared them. So the rulers of the Jews feared the people because they were numerous. And therefore, they did not lay hands on Christ. But afterward, consented and permitted him to be slain by the malicious and envious Jewish rulers. This multitude and numerous people cried in front of Pontius Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. Yet if they had so willed, they would still have been feared. So the rulers should fear God because they knew him the Messiah so that the hands of the wicked would never have prevailed against Christ. In verse 5, they do not know about the rulers, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. So God is still the speaker. He described the redeemable blindness and stubbornness of these unjust judges before he pronounced sentence on them in verse 6 and 7. So despite their high standing and higher opinion of themselves, they are often ignorant and easily overestimate their own understanding. They do not understand, they do not know, ignorant. They have no knowledge, neither will they try to understand, though these are the needful qualification of a judge. They are blinded by their arrogance and their pride. It is not an accidental and excusable ignorance, but willful by their free will because of their pride. They not merely judge it unjustly and were not merely partial in the administration of justice, but they did not desire to understand their duty. Their duty is to defend the fatherless and the poor. And they did not understand the true principles on which justice should be administered. As we read in John chapter 3, verse 19, they loved darkness more than the light because their deeds were evil. So what will happen when judges walk in darkness of their arrogant pride? Actually, what will happen, the life of everyday people will be uncertain and unstable because we don't know how this judge will make judgment for the ordinary people. As if the ground that should be firm under their feet is shaking, we don't know what will happen to us. That's why he said, all the foundation of the earth are unstable. So when the judges are unjust, as if the foundation of the earth are shaken underneath us, 
Because we don't know what judgment, what sentence they will pass against us. The fundamental basis on which the life of any person upon the earth rests, the very principles of morality. So when these are shaken, when those who place it to administer justice pervert the justice and deliver injustice instead, as if the foundation underneath us is shaken. So the idea is derived from the stability of the earth and from the fact that when a building is stable, we assume that it has a solid foundation. So a proper administration of justice is essential to the stability and prosperity of a state. I'm sure all of you remember what happened in Egypt after the revolution, when there was no justice, there was no fairness. Everyone, his life was threatened. Everyone felt lack of stability, lack of peace. That's exactly what he said here. All the foundation of the earth are unstable. So the very existence of society is threatened when the source of justice is corrupt. If we apply this to the Jewish rulers, the Pharisees and Sadducees, who were reproached by Christ with ignorance of the scripture and ignorance of the law of God, they shut their eyes again in the light and again in the evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. St. Augustine says, for if even they had known, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. And those others, if they had known, would never have consented to ask that Barabbas should be freed and Christ should be crucified. Why they asked that? Because they were blind. But as the above mentioned blindness happened in part unto Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles should come in, this blindness of that people have caused the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, I said you are gods, and all of you are children of the Mustaha, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Yes, these human judges stood in the place of the gods above other people. And they had the opportunity and the authority to change people's lives. It is by God's appointment that they have been invested with divine authority to execute judgment in his name. That's why he said, I said, you are gods. So I am the one who appointed you. I am the one who appointed you. I said, you are gods. It is by God's appointment. They had the greatest honor being delegated gods, carried for a while a little of that authority by which the Lord judges among the sons of men. And again, the word gods here in verse 6 is Elohim in Hebrew. The, the same word that used in Exodus 21 verse 6, 22 verse 8 and 9, and the same word Elohim is translated judges, judges. 
So Elhuk, as I told you, can be translated judges, can be translated gods, can be translated angels. So, to the word of this verse, the Lord appealed again in John chapter 10, when the Jews accused him of blasphemy, because he claimed to be one with God. They called the judges of the old time gods and sons of the Most High, being representative of God in spite of their unworthiness. I said, you are gods and all of you are the children of the Most High. That's why the Lord told them, was it then blasphemy of one who had received a special consecration and commission as God's the Father representative, one whose life and work bore witness to that consecration? Is it a blasphemy that Jesus Christ called himself the Son of God and they wanted to stone him? So the Lord actually appealed to this verse, I said you are gods and all of you are children of the Most High. But on the surface, this may seem to be a verbal argument. But the real significance of the quotation lies deeper. The fact that it was possible for men to represent God and to be called gods or divine, this actually is foreshadowing the incarnation of the Son of God. As Saint Clement of Alexandria says, the Word of God became man to learn from man, to learn from the man Jesus Christ, how can man become God? So, God is speaking to the earthly judges and reminded them that they all are human and the children of the Mustaha. This is true in the sense that every human being is made in the image of God. That's why, because we are created in his image after his likeness, we can be thought of as offspring of God. As we read in Acts chapter 17, verse 28 to 29. For in him, in God, we live and move and have our being. Also, some of your own poets have said, For we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold. Then the Lord told them, yes, you are gods, I appointed you as gods. And yes, you are children of the Most High, you were created in his image after his likeness. But don't forget that you shall die like men. Yes, you are appointed above men, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. So when these unjust judges denied the protection and justice to the poor, fatherless, afflicted, and needy, the justice treated them as less than fully human, made in the image of God, who should be regarded as God's creation, his offspring. So the poor, the needy, the afflicted are also children of God. 
So the judges needed to remember this. Though they bear this high title, but this will not exempt them from punishment. They shall die like common men and fall like one of the princes. They were like gods only in a symbolic sense, but they themselves would die like men and face judgment before the judge of all the earth. Maybe some of us will say, but we are not judges. Why are we studying this psalm? Actually, every day we are making judgment. Parents make judgment for their children. People in authority, whether in the church or civil authority, you are making judgment over others. And many times you decide the fate of others when you lay off somebody if that's in your authority or fire somebody. So we need to do this. Remember that we are also be accountable to God. So this fact they have forgotten which fact you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. They have been lifted up with pride as if they were in fact more exalted than other people. But what does it mean one of the princes? Satan. Satan who fell like lightning from heaven. He was an archangel. St. Augustine comments on those who lifted up with pride and says, And through haughtiness of soul, like one of the princes, that is the devil, shall not be exalted, but shall fall. Verse 8, the last verse, when Asaph saw the corruption, that's why he called upon God. And he told him, Arise, O God, judge the earth for you shall inherit all nations. So Asaf closed the psalm with a plea to God to take his place as the ultimate judge. The psalmist has watched the trial and condemnation of Israel's judges, and the sight stirs him to appeal to God himself to assume the office of judge, not only for Israel, but for, for the whole world, judge the whole earth. So the unjust judges of Israel had their own area of authority, but God's authority is over the whole earth. This prayer called upon God to do what the earthly judges would not do to judge the earth with justice. Human judges had failed. That's why Asaph asked God to take judgment into his own hands. I remember one time when some Christians were killed in Egypt, there was no fair judgment. His Holiness Pope Shenouda of the Blessed Memory, he said, now I appeal their case to God, the ultimate judge. So if the judges here on earth will not do justice, we will say, arise, O God, judge the earth you shall inherit all nations. So Asaph is saying, you are the judge of the whole earth to whom all judgment is committed and who will judge the world in righteousness. The second part of verse 8, 
for you shall inherit all nations. You shall inherit all nations. Several of the church fathers have understood this verse to contain a prophecy of our Lord calling of the Gentiles. Inherit all nations, not only the Jews. So the Gentiles will actually join Christianity, enter Christianity, and God will inherit all the nations. And this means the spread of Christianity over the world. On Arise, O God, St. Augustine says, For the earth swelled high when it crucified thee. Rise from the dead and judge the earth. So this also actually is one of the psalms that we pray it in the host, a long host of the Feast of Resurrection. Arise, O God, and judge the earth. For the earth is swelled high when it crucified you, so rise from the dead and judge the earth. Also, St. Augustine comments on inherit the earth and says, His inheritance takes place by love. God inherits the earth by love, which in that he cultivates by his commands and gracious mercy. And thus, he destroys earthly desires. This concludes actually Psalm 82. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.